Hi, my name is Minnesota Dottel. I'm here in Lake Village, Arkansas, talking to Tony R. Rucker of Lake Village. Uh, Tony, the first thing I want to ask you is, give us a little background. Give us a little information on who Tony is. Well, I'm um, I'm the youngest of five. I was born and raised in Lake Village, Arkansas, Chico County, proud mm -hmm. of Arkansas. Um, I'm 29 years of age, and I'm a very passionate person. I love politics. I love my black people. I love God, most importantly. Um, I love science, history, nature, anything that can get my mind to thinking and going. Okay. Yes. Okay. But tell me a little bit about your childhood. You gave me your lineage, your youngest of okay. five siblings. Give me a little bit about your childhood. What got you the directions you're going and things oh, like this? Well, you know, um, uh, as I can remember, father, as far as I can remember, I've always feel like I've been in the known of things. I notice things more than other people notice them. And then when I speak on them, older people are like, oh, you think like that? I had a very good childhood. I, you know, wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth or anything like that. But my parents worked hard. My mom most definitely worked hard to provide for all five of us. I grew up um, in a trailer, then we moved into a nicer house, like in the suburbs of Lake Village. And I'm, you know, around my peers and everything. A lot of my classmates stayed in my neighborhood. So um, I enjoyed life. I was a mm -hmm. true 90s kid. <laughs> Love everything from the 90s. Right. You know, I think we was the last generation to be raised with manners and decency. Right. You know, yes. so um, I'm of the culture and I'm, I'm, I think outside the box a lot. And, you know, like I say earlier, I'm a very passionate person, but my childhood was very good. Often I reminisce of my childhood. There's certain days in the summer that I think about when I was growing up, summer days. There's certain days in the fall where I can easily reminisce and I think about fall days, likewise with winter. So I've had a good childhood, great teachers growing up. I've had a great family. You know, God has been good to me throughout my years. Even when I really didn't know him, he was good to me. And now I acknowledge him every day. Okay. And I heard you say just a minute ago that you think outside the box. So when you say you're outside of the box thinker, what exactly does that entail? Give me a little background on that outside of the box thinker. That you, you know, do, do you think in abstract? I mean, I think abstract okay. more than concrete. Okay. Um, I think abstract more than concrete. Okay. And in philosophical terms, people don't understand the abstract. Yeah, exactly. You really don't see abstract you before don't. you get to the concrete. I always tell people that I was just, this is funny you actually asked me because I was just um, talking to someone about abstract versus concrete. Before you physically see anything, you have to think about the abstract. Yeah, right. There's things, like I said, I'm passionate and I'm very passionate about the black community. There's a lot of things that go on in life that is abstract that kind of sort of pushes the concrete. It does. As it does. in, people just don't all of a sudden say, oh, there's troops in Afghanistan. There was an abstractness behind the physicality of the concreteness being stationed in Afghanistan. That's right. There's things that apply to the black community that we live in a certain way, but we don't really see the abstracts of life that actually put those things into play. That's we more look at the um, concrete. Like I've been told sometimes when I speak about issues in our community and people taking accountability for what happened to us and for us to take a 
accountability to what we do for each other. People look at me because I'm a concrete. They can see me. They can point. They can put their anger and frustration on me. But the thing of it is, it's the abstract you need to be worried about. That's right. Not me. You can apply it to me. You can hit me, feel me, touch me in the concrete. But it's the abstract that we forget to look at. That's true. The policies that's behind closed doors, right. and then there it is on paper. You see and, and the way the way people think. Just the way sometimes we can be at a job, and you can be the supervisor, but they might think that white person supervisor. That's not really concrete. That's an abstract thought process or the way things ought to be. So there's a lot of things that I feel like that I look at differently than other people. That's Most right. people, when they look at the front porch. They just might see the front porch in the seat, but I see the front porch. I see the tree. I see the bird in the tree, and I see the clouds in the sky. That's how I look at things. And most so people, you see the full picture. I, I, and, and, and and let me say this: the abstract, like you said, is not so easily seen. You know, the abstract runs yeah. deeper. It's like when you see a painting and it has wiggle lines yeah, and this yeah. and another, and they tell you it's a forest with a bunny jumping across the yeah. grass. Well, I don't see a forest with yeah. a bunny jumping across the grass. I see a lot of wiggly lines. But then when you look deeper into that, the then you see the, the abstract. abstract. You actually see what yeah. they envision. That, and like you said, with the troops falling in Afghanistan, yeah. there was a purpose behind it. What was the purpose? That's the abstract meaning of the situation. Go yes, ahead. sir. Yes, sir. And, and, and they're just like um, when you sit and you think about things and if I'm running for president and you're running for president, we can give you numbers and statistics and this and that, but until you go into certain neighborhoods, you see them concrete. But you got to think about what uh, what policies in the abstract for years and years and years have garnered you, have mm -hmm. hampered us. And then we live in a society over there where we get strikes from living in bondage. We get strikes for, oh, I survived the shot in my bad neighborhood. Or I'm from the south side of this town and from the south side of that time, town. So within that bondage and that oppression, we sort of got an honor and badge behind it. So we get caught up in the narrative. We get, we, we not just the narrative, the lifestyle. Okay. To where if you're not tough, but you're going to live a, you're going to pretend to live tough. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the, the people around you want you to live up to that. Or the people on the outside want to stereotype is that. Okay. So you caught in a box. You know, that's why I would tip you. It doesn't matter where you come from. Think outside your mind. It don't matter if you're from. How can the young man in Lake Village, Arkansas, find himself thinking just like the young man out of Chicago? We have to look at the same transparency. If we look through this window, we can see the same thing. Not, oh, you from the South, and you think this way, and I'm from North, and I'm that way. But but in society, we have the same plight. The, the society don't care what you from East Coast, West Coast, okay. South, Midwest. Okay. We don't understand that it's great. the greater good is when we understand each other. Okay. You know, it's, okay. it's not about where okay. you're from or where you come from. Okay. Because I've I've experienced working in my line of business because I work fast food on a on a on a high busy highway here in Lake Village of meeting people from um from my ethnic background who I necessarily know when they in Arkansas and they in the Delta, they try to talk down on me and I might have a better education in the sense of life than they do. But because they from Chicago and New York, they have this Chicago and New York mentality towards a southern black and they are no 
Northern black, but you, I can go follow you home and you might be standing 10 can paying $10,000, just, you know, just, just a crazy figure and living in the worst life than I do. Right. But because you're from Chicago, you want to pretend like you this and what you bragging off from being from a big city, you don't actually live good where you come from. And nine times out of ten, you don't own where you come from. Okay, well let me ask you this then. Does that not you know I use the term narrative in the beginning? Does that not fit the narrative of what most black cultures think? No matter where they're from, you have people from the South that consider themselves to be a certain way because they're Southerners. Then you have Northern mm -hmm. black or yeah. uh, African Americans that feel themselves but, to be a certain way because see, they, they're from the North. But see, that go that goes back to the that that goes back to the abstract of things. When you say narrative, anytime you have a narrator, the narrator is the person telling the story. That's right, telling the and story. And from the jump from America, from blacks being from America, we have not been the ones telling our story. The story was told to us. It was pushed on us. So all we're doing is just replaying the story that was given to us. All we do is play a role that was given to us. And within that role, so the that's right. So, so that's what I'm saying. So we get this role. That's what I was saying in the beginning. All we do is be what we think that we are based on what was told you were. Because if you see, it's a pattern where black people becoming woke and sleep. After the Civil War reconstruction, that people don't understand that 40 acres and mule was a real actual promise to Southern blacks during reconstruction in the South. That wasn't gave to us. Then you go through the 60s era with the Civil Rights era we was guaranteed so many civil rights, it was on paper, but still businesses in the government still found ways to lessen your freedoms. So what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to say is at some point that when people is able physically and mentally to control a narrative, black people really don't control our own narrative. We just play right. We just in the play. And we get so caught up in the play that we stuck. We're stuck in a in in, in 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 not a slave mentality majority of the time we are, but just in a ought to be. We think that white people should be able to do this because they ought to be. And we should be here because we ought to be. And we so trained to use our bodies physically, we are forgetting to use our mental our mental abilities. The first thing we want to do, oh, I'll work on a farm for you, or I'll run and throw a football for you, or you're a black woman, you have a nice body, I'll script for you. The first thing we want to do to society, because it has been taught to us, is to give our bodies. But when you start to think with your mind, then things are different. You're a troublemaker, you're a problem, there's something wrong with you. So all, all we are is we, we, we fighting against a narrative. We're not, we don't reinforce a narrative, we fight against a narrative. Okay, let me ask you this. Now, I want you to answer me purely, I know you're going to answer me honestly, but straight from the heart. Yes. Do you not think in a lot of situations, from your perspective, that we as blacks or African Americans, however you want to term it, are our worst enemies yes, in a lot of situations. Yes, most, most definitely. And see, that's what I was saying about that. Where, where um, this is how I feel. That we don't understand how much it matters to support one another. We really don't know it. I ran for city council here in Lake Village. Okay, I was going to get so, that. I had so many. I was 28 years old. I think I was the youngest person to ever run for city council, and especially I was the youngest African-American to run for city council in Lake Village, probably Chico County as a whole. Okay. I had so many ideas to bring the community together. You know, 
in the South, in the Delta area of Arkansas and Mississippi, they think business should be ran like the 40s and the 50s and 60s. In 2019, you have to update. Cotton is not king anymore in the South. Crops doesn't make as much money as it should. And when you look at that, that has a racial undertone too, because we're not the we don't own land, farmland majority of the time. So before that dollar cycle back into community, it didn't change hands amongst the farmers and the people, the contractors, and all before the community even see it. But that's another subject. But the thing of it is about us is we're so caught up in cutting each other down that we can't see the greater picture of things. For example, I know this person. I can know this person and know this person. Say the feds come and raid their house or you decide to do something for your community to lift your community up. And then all of a sudden, here come the rumors. Here come the feds. Here go a stack of papers saying you did X, Y, Z. Now, I know you. Instead of a community supporting you, getting behind you, fighting for you, the first thing we want to do, oh, you know they got him. He locked up. Do about getting the feds did. We, we don't even give each other the benefit of the doubt. We're so worried about spreading myths and rumors. And a lot of times, it might even come from people who look like me and you. It comes from outside source. So here we are, help assassinate each other's character. And so we're stuck in a box. And we're not, neither one of us are the beneficiary of it. All we do is fight each other. We really, black people have a real bad problem. We really, if, if we eating off two plates, we can almost shed a tear. To see you eat good off that plate. You can eat steak and shrimp. I'm mad at you because you eat steak and shrimp. You got a penny more than me. And we don't understand where that root come from. I want the best for all people. Oh, they I promise you. If you out here and you say, nephew, I'm finna go out here and build a brick house. If I ain't got nothing, nothing, um, nothing else, I'm gonna go out here and get a brick and hit it, build your house. Instead of that, you know, instead of that, you know what I'm, what I'm gonna do? He ain't laying on bricks right. You, he probably ain't gonna finish doing it. It ain't gonna be right. He ain't no bricklayer. This is like back to when I ran for city council. I went to school for two years. Political science was my major. Ended up getting cancer. Fought cancer twice in the last past six years. Couldn't finish school. The people who run the city, they they don't have degrees in politics or finance or anything like that. And they are my, and they are, and they are the majority. But since I'm a minority, I have to show my own black people and the other and white people my credentials and speak for my credentials because it's based off what I was telling you earlier of ought to be. They already ought to be in those positions, but I have to be a grade above to even be considered. I have to sit here and, and run in my community to my people who know me for years, but I have to always try to be above for us. We are so hard on one another. Because instead of being, um, instead of having, um, inspiration, instead of getting inspiration from you over there, if you out here doing something good and being inspired and motivated by you putting forth the work and the effort, we will take that energy and make it out of jealousy and envy. And we will make it out of jealousy and envy. And that's the problem with us. And it starts from love. If I love myself, I love the reflection of me. That if I'm African American, I love my heritage, I love myself, I love my skin tone, I like my body shape, I like our culture, I love our hair, that I love my reflection of me, whether it's my black brother or it's my black sister counterpart. And we don't understand that. That it starts with love. 
Love will keep you centered. Love will remind you of who you are. And love will make you have pride in who you are. You wouldn't be so worried about tearing each other down. You'll be so build, busy building each other up. Because if I'm African American and I don't have any goals and aspirations, how can I see the next person who do have goals and aspirations? How can I see myself manifesting them? If I don't love and see it in myself first. Okay. Let me ask you this then. I, I was listening to you say that we have that lack of commitment, dedication, faithfulness towards each other, and oh. just, just plain, you know, I want to see so my you, brother and sister up. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me finish here. So that being the case, say a black business is starting to be raised in the black community, white community, any community. There's the black business. Now you see a lot of, you know, uh, I would say, like you say, the others support each other, whether they be Asian, no, whether they be don't. Hispanic, no, or whether they be Caucasian, they support each other. But also I think I'm hearing you saying that when it comes to black community, the first time you get that brick, the first thing they say, he ain't a mason. He ain't right. allowed to lay bricks. A absolutely. Why, why would he even try? Why did he pick up and, the brick? And, and then he probably gonna fail. But, but you a mason, you won't come give me a hand. That's right. So that's what you basically yes, say. Yes, sir. You rather chop me down than to build me up or to help me. Right. Okay, where do you think that comes from? Okay, that, that comes from what I was telling about the narrative of them pitting us against each other for years and it just manifests and it gets and it thickens over time and it marinates and it just gets worse. And I want to say this, and this is most important to anybody who who's trying to be something in life. To my black brothers and sisters, I want to tell y'all, it is okay to fail. It is our job to lift your head up and tell you to keep going. Okay. You can do it. Okay, let now, me ask that, you a question real quick before you finish. Now, all these answers and responses and statements you gave, this doesn't come from a righteous perspective. No, it does not come from righteous perspective. It comes it from facts. Come from facts. So you don't have a bias or racist oh, no, I don't have a perspective about, about this situation. You base this on things you're you come to learn, understand, and you know personally. Personally. And so it's not racially oh, yeah, called or racially no, based. No, this I just want to say that oh, as a disclaimer. Yeah, as a, yeah, as a disclaimer. This as is not like... But, I the, want thing, but the thing of it is, I don't want people to think I'm being racial. I'm making a thing about exactly, racism. Because I don't want this to but be a you, racial But discussion. things is not just the way it is, just because. Right. That's what I'm trying to see. That we can see here, um, you was born in the what, early 70s? No, no, late mid-60s. Late 60s, okay. So there was a generation called hippies, right? Yes. Free love, free everything, right? Free love, free so that means that in that generation of hippies, those parents and those children... We shouldn't be having these racial barriers because that was the hippie. These people should, we, we y'all, like what I'm saying, your, your generation and those parents should have made it easier for us. But somewhere down the line, it does, it's not like that. So you can't continue to give a society. So who, there's a breakdown in something. There's point. always, that's what I'm saying in history, there's always this and but until we take responsibility for ourselves as a race and don't trust a system who's never had our best interest at heart, we will always Play out the narrative. Okay, let me that's what I'm and see, that, and that's what I was saying about the racial thing. At the end of the day, with the racial thing of it is, it needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be said. There is because it's rather be talked to the way I'm talking about it than for one of my nephews or nieces being gunned down in the streets, and then people so afraid to talk about it. But now people crying and it's on CNN and they rioting and protesting. But when it's a conversation like me and you having, then it's too racial. But then when it hit mainstream, then what was the problem before it? Boom. What pressure was the background? Break, right. Pressure break pipes. And that's why I'm talking about the abstract. Uh -huh. That's why I got on the racial, the racial side because 
you can't get away from it. But let's just speak to a motivational side of things. Okay. Is in in in, in, in you know is else I'm not able to do something. I feel like you can. Okay. I like science. I like history. I like politics. But okay. That what I mean. I may not be a scientist. I okay. might be a historian. Okay. I might not be a politician. Okay. But if there's someone out there who has that motivation and drive, if I cannot financially support them, I can just give them a pat on the back. Okay. Well, Tony, let us pause here for a second, take a break. And when we come back, I want us to kind of discuss uh, your politics and what was your platform when you were running. Okay. Now we're back. I'm talking to Tony R. Rucker from Lake Village, Arkansas. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this topic that we was on. And then we're going to go into his political perspectives and views and what was his platform when he ran for city council. Tony, when we when we closed out from the last segment, you was talking about the racial overtones and yes, how yes. the different divides between races, how if black community was doing one thing, it would look at, well, they had to this is their come up and but then when it's someone of another race, Caucasian race specifically, well, they were supposed to already be in that position because that's what expected. Yes. So would you like to start from there? Yes, and see that's another thing that I would say we cannot run away from our problems. I mean I don't want to come off harsh, but I'm more direct. I give it to you straight and it's factual. Um, we cannot see here, because I, I went to school with whites, and I know some of them are were my friends and some of them not. But we cannot interracial ourselves out of a situation. At the end of the day, you're a black and you can have a white wife and produce a child, but society will zero in on you and oppress you and still treat you like a second class citizen. So don't use your interracial relationship as a way out. No matter, you cannot sex your way out of it and you cannot interracial yourself out of it. So let me you cannot this. also, you cannot um, associate yourself out of it. Meaning that you might have a black wife, but y'all associate yourself with white people or white people with privilege and you might trick yourself into thinking you're not like the rest of us until one day Bam! Society hit you with a break. rude awakening. You have a rude awakening. So and let me ask you this then: uh, What do you think happened with the interracial children in these generations? Like whether it be a, a, a white guy and a black girl, or a black guy and a white girl, what do you think happened with these children? Are uh, the product of interracial relationships? As far as the narrative in which you're speaking about us as a people, or them as a people, any race as you know, as a race in itself. What is the breakdown when you when it comes to these interracial uh, not the relationships, but the uh, outcome of it with the children. Okay, this is how I feel about this. Um, and I never ever zero in on mixed interracial children. I'm at some point I'm attracted to mixed girls. Sometimes you know I love black women of all spectrums. Right. Dark chocolate, medium brown to okay. mix. But the thing of it is, it's not more of the children. It's more of society. Growing up, when it's when it was mixed kids, they the black people will accept them more than the white kids will because it goes to the one drop rule. Like I said, the narrative from years ago: once you have a speck of black in you, you are forever tainted. So therefore, they might talk and speak to you, but behind closed doors. They might not call you a nigger, but they will consider you black. The white people will. And black people, we do take in anybody mixed with black. 
And like I uh, with the interracial children and everything, um, I don't really have anything, no beef against interracial children because they didn't decide who birthed them um, or nothing like that. I don't have any problem. It's, it's society as a whole. And it just that the interracial thing, I'm not a supporter of. You know, I'm not a supporter of interracial relationships because I feel majority of the time, especially when it comes to black men, we're taught not to have standards when it comes to marrying our wealth. We will get money and really don't think about who we marry our money to. And because we, we, we caught up in that narrative again, oh, I'm black and we the ultimate sex machines. And it's just a fetish, narrative fetish that we feed into. So therefore, if any woman look at you and come on to you, you're a black man. You better show what a black man is supposed to do so you don't have any, any standards. I've seen where white men can easily say they don't want to sleep with black women or they don't like black women and society is okay with that. But if a black man says, you ain't a white girl, you need to white girl. Like we always got the, we all have the pressures of being the fulfillment of a fetish. Right. So therefore, and it goes into marriage as in it's whole neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. They tell, they'll tell you, society tell you that marriage doesn't have a couple. But there's whole neighborhoods where middle class, upper class white people have married each other, where there's not one black person in that will. In that will. But as soon as my son get a dollar, I'll go get you a white girl. I hear older black men say it. I hear football people, entertainment people say, I'll go get you a white girl. But if they're not sending for you, don't check for them. You see what I'm saying? The same thing. You think they behind closed doors talking about marrying a black man. They might talk about what you can do for them sexually or in a fetish like. But unless you have the money, they don't look at you as an option to marry. But we will marry our wealth to anybody, not just the white women, Mexican, Asian, whatever. We are taught not to have standards. We think we think in a sex they, they people have us thinking in a sexual nature instead of in a economic nature and a cultural nature. If we, we black, we supposed to go, man, I'm gonna stay in the thing. I don't discriminate. But then on the flip side, no one else is doing it. People will have society over there, not just when it comes to race. Society, people in general, will use you up. People will have you doing things that they would never do. You will be out here doing things, and it's flattery. I want to get off flattery. It's very dangerous. Flattery is very dangerous. Okay, I want to ask you this then. Flattery. I, I heard you say that you're not into that interracial yeah. uh, marriage. But now, but, but no, I, want, no, I want to clear this up though. Okay. I will not go out and hold up billboards and slander anybody. Okay. I'm not I don't hate anybody. I just don't support it and care for it. Okay. But I'm not gonna go to the verge of I'm slandering anybody for it. Okay. I won't do it. I will not do it. I'm not for hate. If I'm preaching against oppression and hate, I will not be a hater and I will not be oppressed. Because then that makes but you a hypocrite. A, right. But privately, I don't support it. Privately, I don't support interracial okay. relationships. Now, that, that even makes it easier for me to ask the question. You have this, I won't say bias, but this particular mindset and framework of race and connections to race. Blacks with blacks, whites with whites, yeah. Asian with Asian. When, where does that stem from? Let's it's, not say from the African. American oh, no, 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 no. Where it does that stem from, from for you? It stems from, for some reason, I've always seen it. 
even I, I, and I was, I remember being in school and not having racist teachers. I've had, I've, I've had wonderful teachers who's white, black, Mexican, purple, green, yellow, but just the abstract again, the being in relation with people. You know what people think of you. You know how people see you. And then you see, like, like I was saying earlier, I've always saw the difference in just the way things were. Even in first grade, I can remember first grade kindergarten, just knowing the difference of a lot of us don't have, but they do have. Um, things like, 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 like I've watched TV when I was younger and I can watch an interview or interview a black person and don't ask the white person the same level of questions. As the black person. Or vice versa. Or vice versa. I've always seen the difference. And that's what I'm saying is, don't kid yourself in not seeing the difference. You have to see the difference. Therefore, you know the problems to fix the difference. But here's my thing. Is that not, not man-made differences? And not literally? There's no difference. I don't believe there's a difference between white, black, No, it's not. Mexican Racial, racism is, is man-made. It's, it's still from the it's psyche still, of the individual who has to Exactly. But see... You asked me about, you know, about your perspective, the, my perspective. And yeah. I was saying that I saw the narrative. Like I was speaking earlier, I saw the narrative when I was young. I didn't grow up my mom. If anybody knew my mom, never, she don't even do stuff like that, racism. But I saw the narrative young. I've seen, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, I was three, four, five years old, knew the difference. I just knew it. And then as I more educated myself, I knew I wasn't kidding myself. Okay. I mean, okay, well, but you know, I, I notice you keep saying you've seen the difference, and I keep trying to hit on the same point. There is really no difference except for what man makes. Yes, but see, that's so, what I'm saying. I'm, I'm so, so there's no difference. No, no, white, saying, black, I've seen yellow, no, brown, not the difference no in difference. skin color, Odell, or difference in people. I, I'm, in general. Talking, no, no, I'm so, talking about the difference in society in how society the narrative. That's what I'm saying. That's, see, man, that's what I'm saying. The, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. I've seen the difference at a young age of. How it was, okay. how how the it spectrum. was constructive, yeah. yeah. Okay. So when I was younger, I knew the difference. Yeah, it went all the colors of the rainbow. Yes, you t and then see this thing about policing too. People don't understand that African Americans, police used to come to the schoolhouse and speak and talk to us. So how do you go from thinking as a child that this is a a, a man of of law and honor to growing up and then you get older and your voice get deeper? And you you become more man like, and they look at you as you have done something. That's you the go from being somebody that they're trying to educate to a threat. Right. That's okay. what I'm saying. That's what I'm talking about. So you knowing that as, as a youth and then becoming an adult, how right. did that make so, you feel? How, it reiterated how I felt when I was younger that I was right. That's what I'm saying. I'm not. This ain't about me being right and me being wrong. This factual is when I was younger, I've always had this feeling and knowing of this stuff. But you know, you you know, they they try to teach us as young. Everybody's equal, and police officers are good. That's like when you're in church, that you're you you think all everybody who's in churches they say, oh this brother so and so, or this sister so and so. But as you get older and you start to deal with people, mingling with people, you start to see they 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 really wasn't who you thought they were. Right. So as you get older, either stuff reiterates to you, or you see things differently. You know, just like the saying, when I was a child, I did childish things. When I was, you know, yeah. you know, you put, you know, so it's kind of like that. Right. So as you get older, you wise up to things. And I'm not trying to give myself a scratch on the back. Is I've always been able to see these things. Okay. I've always been able to see these things. 
Okay. Well, let me ask you this. You you made that statement about the comparison with the the, uh, the spiritual brothers, so and so, such and such. And oh, as, wait, as a youth, yes, growing up church they, in they the, the group. In the yeah, but then you get then older. You got older, then you saw all the things they were doing in the background. Yes. So you're saying this is the same for society. Yes. It looks good on the surface because you're looking at it from a virgin yes. child like I. Yes. But then when you become more older, like you said, vocal toes get deeper. You look deeper, you grow a little hair on your chin, then you're not treated. The same way. When it's, Officer it's like, Friendly it's, came it's, to your second, your first grade class, become to often aggressive. Yes. So, so let me ask you: how, knowing that, and, and and growing up in that, and and seeing things one way as a child, seeing them different as an adult, and seeing that the same person that was patting you right. on the back as a child, and now was, looking was you up and down. You, but but now he's looking you up and down. And he's always been doing that, yes. but never to you when you was a child. He right. did this later. Right. So, how do you feel now that the the blindness have been taken off? How does well, it, not, it don't make me feel no kind of way because I was saying I've always seen it. Okay. Most kids didn't. I've always seen it. I've, okay. I, like I said, I don't know. Is it a gift? I don't know. Like I was telling you, you know, personally, you know me for a long time. I've always been this type of way. I've always been able to see it. And that what scares me. That's why I was mentioning about why I went to the racial situation because you cannot blind yourself to death from this. Right. You have to admit to it. What has happened is black people has Think, think that they have luxuries that they really don't. Okay. So we think that we can, like I was saying, we can marry our money to anybody because it's a, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Or we think that we cannot support each other and that doesn't matter. We really, it matters. It matters to me that I want to see you do well as a black man, as a black woman, because I know what we went through. It matters to me that if you're young and you're black, you have ideas, I'm supposed to help you harvest those ideas. Okay. It matters okay. to love and care for each other. Okay. It matters. Not necessarily you have to like each other, but I will not dislike you so much that I will hurt you and stop you from obtaining your dreams. Okay. That matters. Okay. It matters. And we try to be individuals, and you're supposed to be strong individuals. I believe okay. in individuality. Well, well can we take another brief pause and when we return I'm, i want you to get into your political views and then we'll close out with your future aspirations so we're going to take a break and we'll we'll be back in a few seconds with uh tony r rucker uh and we have go into his views on politics and what made him run for city council when we return thank you hi we're back mr odell taylor i'm here talking with tony r rucker of lake village arkansas and i said in our last segment before we close we're going to talk to him a little bit about his running for city council and his political views tony we're going to allow you to start right here and tell us exactly what made you run for city council your political view and what you, where you headed in the future okay well i decided to run for city council because i've seen a lot of things and um i've seen a lot of things i did not like here in lake village is, and this one, this is not more. This is it, it's, it's. There's a thing of have and have not. There's people in Lake Village in Chico County in the Delta in in abroad of the have and have not. You have people who have successors that's gonna just carry the torch the way things gonna be. Right. So you are always going outside looking in. So I'm just tired. There isn't jobs around here. People have to move away to have a decent living to live right to live nice, and all that stuff. And I said, well, if I plan on being in Lake Village for the next two or three years, I want to be the change that I want to see in in life. I want to be a part of the change. Like I was saying earlier, this is not the 1920s, 30s, or 40s. This is 2019. You have to upgrade. This ain't, cotton is not king anymore. 
You have to bring in mixed industries where you see these small towns across America who have pulled themselves up compared to the ones who have fallen by the wayside. That business model has changed. You look at the automotive industry. They have to go bankrupt to realize the way they do business isn't right. They have to change the way they do business. Right. You can look at any company that was at the top and now they went bankrupt. There's a lot of companies you grew up with that was number one when you was younger, but they could not change with the time. So now they're bankrupt. So therefore, you have to change. And a lot of people in this area is not used to changing. You have people who's, who are corrupt. You have people who are Uncle Tom's. They do the bidding for the white people. I mean, I could write a book. I could write a book about people being stuck in a state of mind. You can be stuck in an era but be living in the present. You can think of certain things and don't realize the world around you have changed. Now, the word of God doesn't change, but people habits do change. Whether it fluctuate to people doing this type of sin or fluctuate with these people doing that type of sin. You're always going to have a, 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 a variety of things. But the thing of it is, when it comes to economics in your area, I tell you all the time, that local politics, you feel your local politicians every day before you get to the government and state. Local affects you immediately. That's Sales true. tax. That's true. That's true. Uh, roads getting fixed. That's the road that you, that you drive on every day. Um, you scrapping and struggling every other month to pay the bills, pay the rent. But the, all you see is crop dusters and, and farm machines out, out in the field. But you looking for a job. You look for a job. There's no factories around. There's not enough small businesses. There's not a mixed economy to support okay, the general ask, population. Let me ask you this then. So what you're basically saying, if your local economy suffers, you suffer. You suffer. Lo your, your, yes, yes, yes. From the top down. And also, Lake Village used to have spirit. I hear older people talk about the community was behind the school. If somebody was doing good in school, the whole City knew where that child was going to school at. They was proud. They was involved in sports. So now you have a community where downtown is separated from the school. Main Street and the school are two separate entities. Even though there is a body of governing, it is different from the school system. But at the end of the day, it's all community. It's all community at the end of the day. You have people who are in positions and their children Nieces and nephews, grandchildren don't even go to school in the area. Okay, then, well, well let me ask you this. I, I, you know, Lake Village is a small community, but better more than 3,000 or so people. But I start to see, and this is my perspective, and you correct me because you live here actually in the community. I live in another community outside of Lake Village. So me being the outsider looking in, even though I'm from this area and I grew up here, I no longer live here. I no longer have roots here. I just come by to visit and things like that. So... From that perspective, me looking from the outside in, I look at Lake Village, I see that you have a new business out on the highway. You have different commerce coming into the community. So what am okay. I missing? Okay, you're missing you're not a citizen here. Right. If I go to Hot Springs, I go to Hot Springs, and I look how beautiful Hot Springs is. But you told me the other night that crime is bad because you live there. So you really don't see it's, it's a masquerade. I mean, 
the poverty level, Lake Village in Chico County, that's a part of the Delta. The Delta area in the country, outside of the um, Appalachian Mountains in West Virginia, are the is the poorest per capita income in the country. Right. In the country. Right. We have flow money. Lake Village is home to the largest Oxbow Lake. There's not a diner. There's not a hotel. There's not nothing out there to bring in money. We don't have a major tourist attraction down there or nothing. And this is a beautiful city. You would think you would then, have something that's like what I'm that. Saying. The Love's gas station almost took two years to come. People didn't know was it coming or not. That was a blessing to have. We have to almost, we are doing better than other cities around us. But the potential is not being tapped into making Lake Village thrive. Because at the end of the day, it sits on a beautiful lake. It's, it's nothing. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Lake Village is a nice place to stay. We don't have violence. We don't have like racial tensions to where people are physically and verbally being racist to each other. But there's racial undertones that's not being said that still drives the community. The farmers run the Delta. So running for city council, what was you going to do? I would have tried my best to at least get the mayor to get on some initiatives to bring in more jobs here. I would have, the youth, I was young, I was 28, I'm 29 now, I would have got the youth involved. Sometimes what you really need is a spark. You need someone to motivate you. You need somebody to say, hey, we lay village. Yeah, we don't have this, but let's work on it. Let's do it. Let's get it together. Not be stuck on a pattern of have and have not. This is the way it used to. This is the way it, I, I had that a lot of times. People come up to me, oh, this is the way it always been, young man. Just leave it alone. That's the way it's going to be. Well, no, well, if that's the way it's going to be, it has to be made that way so it can mm -hmm. be unmade that way. Well, let me ask you this. When you decided to run for city council and you decided to throw your head in the ring, did you have a lot of law supporters or just supporters in general? Did a lot of people get behind the idea oh, of no sir, no sir, no sir, no sir, no sir. And sir, why was no, that? No sir, no sir, no why sir. Why was that? No sir. Why was that? Based on your perspective, why was okay. it that people weren't getting behind you? Okay, with you, uh, your value, I lost, not I, your value, but your value. I lost like fifty votes. The guy I ran against, Rich, he was ex representative, and honestly, we're in the South. Racism and coonism the honest truth okay and what makes you say that was the case okay i'm gonna tell you something i had people privately come to me and say things to me about certain things personally that i do know that i do know things about the racial undertones to this okay. i won't speak on it because there's not a here or there and when it but i will say this one incident I had, a guy wanted the guy that, a guy lied on me. I was, just to let you know, I'm a two-time council survivor. And I thank God for that. Every day of my life, he brought me through. I was going through my council stream. I was running for city council, trying to make it better for people in, in Lake Village. I had to quit working because my chemotherapy was kind of getting hard on me. God went out and lied on me in order to help the opponent. I can't say the opponent put him up to it. I don't know. I don't know. I won't, I won't lie, I speak facts. But I know the guy lied on me and said I got fired from a job for stealing. They know, and black people know, that it fed into a racial stereotype as in black people steal. If you are white, don't vote for him because he just like the rest of the black people. 
It don't vote for him. This guy's black. He in the stores telling other white people not to vote for me, mentioning my dad's name, telling them not to vote for me. Then turn around, I had other prominent white people who told me to my face that they had to get other people straight about me, that they knew me, and that wasn't true, and it was about racism. The whites who wasn't racist had to let the other ones know it wasn't racist. Then the flip side of it, black people, like I was saying, we so quick to tear each other down. They know me. I don't have a record. So they couldn't find it. So they made up a lie. They say that I was stealing and I was going for cancer treatments. Which makes but, it sad. That yeah. And see, what makes it worse is that black people who know the truth, they know the truth. They repeat the lie because it's out of mess. That's what I was saying a lot of times. That's why I, that's why I was so passionate earlier about is this happened to me on a personal level that I know factually and personally that this is the games that is played against us. And, and all we do, not just politics, but it, it, it's different because we are weak to stuff. We are weak to outside influence because we're not strong as a community. So anybody over there can come and get you in your community and we're not going to take up for you. We're going to help them bash you. We're going to get the sword they're trying to stab you and we're going to stab you with it. That's what I know on a personal level. And that's what I know. That's not just in Lake Village. That's okay. played throughout the country. Well, how did that affect your political run? It didn't because what people don't know was I had people who was ready to go back for me. And they can, they, they can tell you that I told them, no, this is about politics. This is about me trying to hit the community. I always rise above. I'm not a mean person. I'm not a hateful person. Anybody I've met throughout any ethnicity background, they'll tell you I'm the most loving, kind person that they ever meet. I'm a little rough around the and I'm straightforward. But they'll tell you what you see is what you get. And I have some Which people who like good. me. Yes. And I have people That's who like me. I'm, I'm a very, like, I'm a joking person. I love to joke and kid and mess mm -hmm. around and stuff like that. But like I was trying to say is, you cannot laugh your way, interracial your way, or search your way out of the system that is of America. That you have to look at it for what it is. Right. And it is what it is. When they when nothing else fails, they're going to play the race card. Right. When nothing, nothing else, else fails. Succeeds. When and nothing else, and we are susceptible to it because any minority group, we are at risk for anything anyway. Right. We're at the mercy of whoever. So I can start a lie. Or they have enough money or start a lie and get two or three prominent black people in the community who people look up to, start a lie, give it to them, and they feed the poison to the rest of the people. And the beneficiary, like I was saying earlier, won't be me or you. That happened to me personally. Mm -hmm. Now, like I say, I don't know if my opponent, I can't speak and say he did that because I will not slander nobody. I will not lie on a man. I don't, I, like I said, I never had any bad dealings with my opponent. Um, or nothing like that, but I do know there was other racial entities that took place to help my opponent, and they used black people against me, and then it helped further the narrative to white people who were skeptical of voting for me not to vote for me. me it this. broke it even. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you think that affected your winning? Yes. Okay. Yes, it did. Yes, I, yeah, yeah, it most certainly did. It did. Okay. So, going forward, what do you see for Tony Rucker? For Tony Rucker going forward is I'm 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 a very um charismatic person. I look at the best in life. You know, like I say, I, I get 
I get raw and I get untamed when it comes to my people. That's just who I am. But I'm a very charismatic person. I like to laugh, joke, have fun. I like to read. I like to talk about God. I like outdoors. I like everything. I'm a very real-rounded person. I like to have a good time. And I got a lot of talents outside of politicking. I have other talents that, you know, that naturally I have that. And I know that of my own self. I'm not patting myself on the back. That, hey, I have other avenues I might want to pursue. Okay. But that being said, let me ask you this. Since there's other avenues, let me ask you this. Let me make a specific uh, request. Are you going to be running, throwing your head in the ring again into politics? Well, more than likely not. Okay. But it's always what the Lord tell me to do. Okay. Now, I have a yearning and burning, not to. I have okay. a yearning and burning feeling like I, it's a big avenue that I could go, that my soul and spirit is pulling it to. Okay. But as, as fighting for that? cancer, but as fighting cancer, and then God lead me in, I, me saying it out of my mouth is different from him telling me spiritually. Right. So I have to I be agree. careful with that. Yeah, you got to be Because I don't know what God has for me next right. year. You know what Tony did. I know what it is. God's asking you to do. That's right. Now, speaking on cancer, I don't want to say briefly, but just kind of touching that. When, when you had this bout with cancer, this 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 situation. Two bouts. Two with bouts with cancer. Sorry. Correct. Stand correct. When you had these two bouts with cancer, <clears throat> where was your head? Where was your mindset? How did you see things? And, and now the last question, where do you see yourself as far as this, you know, supporting this situation, whether your efforts and energies towards cancer and cancer research and all these things being that you would want to actually have to deal with this in your life twice. Um, I'm gonna tell you when I first got that was the first time, and that's why I tell people that God is everything. If He tell you not to worry, don't worry. I remember the doctor came in. Um, my mom's going to to appointments with me leading up to my diagnosis. I kind of tricked it until I went going. I had had surgery to get a biopsy, so I was telling them they were going to check the wounds, take the stitches out, assess the, you know, the um, wounds and everything. But I already knew that they would have had my um, my um, lab works and my um, test results back in. So he came in, he went in, it was brief. He said, well, Mr. Ruffin, you have cancer. I have two doctors here, Dr. Marwani and Dr. Vera Putherin. And, you know, um, who, 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 who would you like? And, X, Y, and Z, and I promise you, and I can tell you this wholeheartedly, that now one time, from the first time to the second time, in my second bowel cancer, it came back a little different, more aggressive, so my treatment was different, was, was harsher this time around. Did a stem cell transplant in January that I, I mean, it was tough, but God brought me through. I have not cried once, and I have not asked the Lord why me. When the doctor told me I had cancer, I remember I called my mother first, Sisters and brothers, three close friends. They knew it all through my cancer battles. And my family knew later on in stages. I didn't go around praying about it. I didn't go around asking for sympathy. Yeah. The Lord put me at ease when I got diagnosed. He said, don't worry about it. I didn't, I wasn't frantic. The nurse was more frantic than I was saying, oh, you're so young. You drove up here by yourself. Y'all said, yes. I said, God got me. He put me at it. When they say, when God put you at a perfect peace, he put you perfectly at peace. So I was spiritually Okay. So basically, you saying you dealt with this whole? I dealt with it. I when I tell you, I did not cry once. I have, and I've had days, y'all, when I cannot eat, I cannot think. Days where I would start my chemotherapy and I'd be gone from probably Monday to Wednesday. Psychologically, you know, reintroducing myself to doctors and nurses. Instead, they introduced themselves to me. 
two, three days ago. Yeah. Days I was thrown about, couldn't smell, taste food. But at the end of the day, I always remain happy. So My you family stay positive through this I whole stay ordeal. positive through it all. And when I tell you, not saying I'm not afraid to die, I'm not afraid to die. But I didn't care. The only thing I was in, I had anxiety about was my test results. Like I'm this sick. Hopefully the cancer gone. Hopefully it's working. Other than that, I didn't. I didn't think about dying and death and mad at God. I never asked him why me. Never. He never even gave me the spirit of doing it. Right. He always took care of me spiritual wise, and okay. it manifested itself from spiritual to physical. So okay. I've always had a positive thing, and not just me. And I hate to use I. Excuse me if I use I a lot, but. For anybody going through, about you, yeah, so. but no, but see, you got to make it about other people. What I'm saying is, yeah. if you use I, it's an understandable yeah, yeah. statement. But um, but anybody who's um, anybody who, anybody who's, how can I put this? Who faces challenges and get through it. And once you get through, you say to yourself, you reassess the damage, you say, wow, why did I even let that get me worked up that bad anyway? Right. You never know how strong you are until you met with a challenge. And the thing about me is no matter how sick I was, and my mother was a praying lady. I had a good, I, my mother's a prayer, prayer warrior. Yes. And I had some other prayer warriors from my other side of family. Amen. Friends. Amen. I have a friend that is a wonderful prayer warrior. Her mother raised us so well. And I had good friends, good support system behind me through my battle. But at the end of the day, when all people leave and I'm still sick, it's just me and God. You know what I'm saying? It's just me and I'm sick. And I know they want me to feel better. But they take that nap or they walk out that door. Antonio can't run from himself. You have to be here for you first. Regardless of what, even if it's, no matter what, sickness, health, if if, if, if it's just a thing you want to do in life, be there, have a club for you. And when that club, you don't have that club, that's why you have God, because God will fight okay. your battles that you can't. Let me ask you this. So what would you say to encourage others, whether it be going through cancer, diabetes, Look, I whatever promise you, the case may be? Love yourself. Self-love is the best love. Okay. And love God. Because okay. if you love yourself, you can be in a relationship with a person that you say love you and you love them. But they ain't showing you love. They love other things more than they love you. But you always find yourself to pull yourself out of the way to be there for them. But if you love yourself, self will say, hey, come on now. Self-love will keep you centered. And God will be your center. You have to love yourself and love God. That is true. That is so true. Because ain't nobody going to love you more than you. Have you ever seen somebody over there when they get something new, they... A new phone, they will make sure they don't drop and break it. Yeah. Then four, five months later, they throwing it everywhere. Don't care nothing about it. Okay. So don't let people think they own you. Cause I've seen some bad owners in life. Okay. You have to own and love yourself because you're gonna you take gonna take care of yourself. Okay. And God gonna make sure He take care and of that's you. That's true. That's true. So we get ready to close now. I want to ask you this question. Um Going forward, I know that you got some new ideas, new things you want to do. You you was kind of discussing things about some career choices and things like that. Would you like to elaborate on that real quick? Because we got very brief time here uh, before the interview ends. Would you like to elaborate on your future endeavors and goals as far as you want to go career-wise and things like that? 
Well, you know, career rise, like I like um I'm a very essential person. Actually I'm I'm doing an interview. I actually like to be the interviewer. Okay. Um so I, I probably like to go with a talk show. Um I have a very crazy personality. I would like maybe do movies. I like to dress nice. I like different patterns. I love nature. I think I can do design, clothes, and everything else. There's so many talents that I have. I can do impersonations. I can make fun of people's voices. I'm very talented and this is not conceited. This is something that people have envied me and try to make you feel bad. People can see the strength in you before you see it in yourself. Right. Know your worth. This is me talking about the worst that I know I have and I want to apply it in life. Like I say, if no one else be there for you, you have to be there for yourself because the world will beat you down and knock you down. That's right. You have to be there for yourself. So I see myself doing other things. Like I say, I more than likely won't run again, but I might run if God put it in, in the plan. Amen. You know, so like I say, I'm just a happy person. I'm okay. happy and blessed to be alive. I thank God every day. I want the best for people no matter what color you are. But I do want to see my people been through so much. I want to see us be happy and succeed in life. And okay. there's nothing wrong with it. I think we deserve to feel like we can want each other to win. Okay. And there's nothing wrong okay. with it. All right, so I'm putting in this interview. This is uh, Minister Odell Taylor. I have been talking with Tony R. Rucker, uh, someone that I've been knowing a long time, and I couldn't wait to do this interview with him, and we're going to get ready to close out. And, Tony, if you'd like to, before we close out, would you like to have some closing statements about maybe a minute or so, and then we'll shut it down then? Um, my closing statement will be that when all the chips are down and you have no one around, I've been low, low, low in the spirit before. I've been low, low, low in health before. Really, truly, God is my best friend. He is truly. He won't go and repeat anything you say. Mm -hmm. When you vent to him, Amen. he will listen to you. He will remind you of what he's done for you, even in the midst of a storm. And he what will he can remind do. you of what he can do. So always keep faith. And after you keep faith, love and, and love yourself. Love yourself. Love yourself because no one's going to love you better than you. But you can't give love if you don't love yourself. That's right. You got to love yourself. You can be infatuated with people that you think you love. <laughs> but until you love yourself, you can't give love. Yeah. Love yourself and be happy with yourself and be happy to see your fellow man do well. I spoke on a lot of things of oppression and stuff, but that comes from I don't want to be what I went up against. Right. I don't want to be that person. If somebody come to me and tell me, hey, Mr. Rucker, or a brother, or a nephew, I got this going. I know that I had dreams and aspirations at one point, and I want some good energy behind me, so I'm going to be that good energy for you. That's right. I want the best for you. I don't hate nobody. I'm very competitive. But, hey, like I say, God is, is, is everything. God is everything, and keep him centered, and love him, and love yourself. And at the end of the day, can't nothing come against you. And that's all I got to say. All and right. nice talking with you. All right. This is Minister Odell Taylor. We're shutting down this show, this segment. And I pray and hope that you have a blessed day in Christ Jesus. We do ask and pray. Amen. Thank you.